0: Hey, what's going on? Welcome to This Week in Games. So, just like the last episode, this one is hosted by the game exec, Joseph Kim, and the corporate strategy MVP, Eric Kress. And just like with the last episode, unfortunately I had to skip this one. Life, work, and writing all those prediction posts, uh, they they really do take the, all the extra time. So, um, today's Podcast. In today's episode, we'll be talking about four different topics. Uh, firstly, the guy's going to talk about Bungie, the developer of Destiny, ditching Activision after eight years. Uh, secondly, they're going to talk about Metro Exodus. Ex- Metro Exodus, great name. Metro Exodus launching only on Epic Store, uh, but per, you know pre-orders from Steam will be honored. Then they're going to talk about influencer plans. Uh, That epic game store has visioned and finally they're going to tackle or not tackle. They're going to talk about Apple uh, And Apple's gaming subscription service gaming subscription service. That's a mouthful Anyways, uh, thank you for reading all those. Um, I assume a lot of you guys read uh, the uh, the prediction posts that have been posting Uh, They've been interesting to write uh, and they have generated a lot of comments. They have generated a lot of traffic. So uh, definitely check out um, on uh, the latest predictions and so we'll be coming up with few more uh, regarding RPG games regarding the battle royale and regarding card games and Before I let the guys lose uh, I want to I want to mention uh, game refinery so uh, not only the fact that I've been using game refinery and sensor tower in conjunction uh, to really analyze the market um, and, and now just using great game refinery almost daily to to really see how the market is reacting and the changes in it. But the thing is I'm, I'm still uh, advertising via the, the VP of business development position at Game Refinery. Uh, they are growing rapidly and they are looking for a person to lead the sales operation. So really cool gig. Um, the link will be Link to the job will be as as before in the description of this podcast, but you can just go to gamerefinery.com and and careers. I assume it's in careers. Anyways, without further ado, this week in games.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Twig 21. And again, we are here with Eric Kress. And unfortunately, we are without Mishka, who has been sick and, you know, desperately working on the predictions posts for Deconstructor of Fun. I actually have had an opportunity to read the upcoming RPG um, prediction post, and it's it's excellent. So if So please watch out for it. And if you haven't checked out the other predictions posts, please do check those out. Eric, how, how's it going? How's how's life?
2: You know, life is good. Facebook is back up. Um, Nintendo missed their hardware targets. Um, you know, I'm getting some stuff right, but uh, okay. yeah,
1: good. Okay, that's that's uh, that's good to know. And I I think you you, you wanted to uh, you you wanted to make a few comments right ahead of uh, jumping jumping into the art, uh, the art articles today.
2: Yeah, I just wanted to. I don't know, like uh, maybe a clarification or just a, you know a shout out to these uh, executives that we're trashing a little bit. So it's really easy for us, you know, sitting in the cheap seats, to you know throw you know our judgments on <laughs> what's going on with these companies. Um, but uh, you know, it, it just really. The reality of it is like jo- the job of managing these companies is so complex, you know. The egos, the personalities, the politics, the investors, the licensors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, make it hurt really hard to make the right decisions at times. You know, I was at EA for seven years and it was frustrating. It's a frustrating place to be because it's like moving the Titanic to get things done. Right. And on top of that, you're talking about the market changes, competition, you know, all these Things create layers of complexity that uh, that these guys have to manage. So, you know, people like Frank Chabot and JR and Laura Miele, Bobby Kotek you know, they're all like amazing operators and kind of have some of the most demanding jobs out there. And not only do they have to deal with issues with the company, but they have to deal with the issues that that are you know specific for video games, um, uh, the ongoing battle between creative and, and the business process. And that makes their job even more more difficult, in my opinion. So you know, and, and at the end of the day, these guys have created the most insane amount of shareholder value and wealth for their employees and shareholders over the years. And I got nothing but mad respect for them. So, but part of the reason I really like my job is because I can stay at 30,000 feet and get out of the muck and, you know, judge the results about these companies without having to deal with all the politics and the stuff that need, that need to do and get things done. But I want everyone to know that I have a lot of respect for these guys and I know how difficult it is. And, you know, what, what kind of tenacity and hard work and sacrifice they n- need to do in order to make make things happen at these companies. You know, but with that said, let's carry on and, you know, judge from the cheap seats.
1: <laughs> right. Although I, I will say, though, that, you know, uh, 100% agree with you, Eric, but, you know, I, I do think that, you know, we can't just keep it all too fluffy. So, you know, having a, a serious discussion with with some level of criticism and, and granted, you know, being being humble about it as, as well, just given all the difficulties is, I think makes for a better discussion and hopefully better insights. And and just a quick note from me. So after last week's pod, I I made a a prediction about uh, jam city acquiring the Marvel strike force team. And um, after the podcast, a a, a number of folks actually reached out to me and and, and talked to me about that prediction. And um, so just, just word on the street now. And and I'm pretty convinced that actually it will not be jam city acquiring the Marvel strike force team, but I, I do think they, they get taken out. Um, certainly there's, there's, there's been a little bit of, um, noise about, um, you know, Zynga trying to do a sale lease back on their building. I don't know who, who, who it's going to be, but, but certainly I, I, I think you can expect to see that that happen. Um, you know, sometime very soon, I, I, in in my opinion.
2: Yeah, I'll add my, my other predictions. There's basically three teams out there that I think are, are likely, um, going to be shopped around and that's uh you know fo- the fox guys but also Warner Brothers because AT&T um doesn't want anything to do with uh content creation um and mm-hmm. then uh or uh, interactive and then Bethesda which I think will likely be sold as well or at least try to be sold. So you know these these companies don't make sense. You know you and you're right. I should have said something at the, at the last podcast. that said just doesn't have the money to do it. Um but there are many companies out there that would love to have that that product so
1: right and with that maybe we could start with the first article about um, Bungie and Activision Eric
2: yeah I mean the first article is basically about uh, Bungie is ditching Activision after a year that's eight years uh, that's not quite as accurate I mean I think they're both ditching each other you know um, <laughs> <laughs> fundamentally this is Quite a blow to Activision to some degree, but it's not really unexpected given kind of the tenuous relationship they've had. My understanding of the relationship was kind of really bad from the start. Um, They delayed the original Destiny, and I remember they just weren't adhering to the timeline of release that um, Activision and them had negotiated. Um, You know, I really don't have a lot of, like, real intel on this relationship, so a lot of this is pure speculation, but... It seems to me that, you know, it's a classic battle between business and creative. You know, Activision wanted an evergreen franchise that they could monetize year after year. And Bungie really wanted to create a loot shooter that would engage their fan base. And And these seem similar goals, but the methods of getting there, I think, were quite a bit different between the two companies. Um, frankly, I, I think they got pretty close. I mean, they created an amazing game. Uh, you The know, story was terrible. The, the first one, end game was kind of broken, but they really didn't find the right formula until... Um, taken king a a year or so later after release of, of destiny one. But I think by that time, you know, the audience has moved on. So, and then destiny two came about and destiny two really, you know, it did fix a lot of what was wrong with destiny one. I think Activision really wanted to dumb it down to make it more approachable um, and, and reach a broader audience. And that kind of alienated the core people that just love to, you know, optimize against their gear and, and, you know, basically just, worry about progression and, and 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 upgrades and and i can't think of the term but anyway um but the story was much better than the original um but what happened was activision really had them on a strict release timing and if they had missed that year in which destiny 2 came out i think the agreement was basically saying that they would lose ownership of the company so they had to push the game out and i think it was a little bit too early and not fully baked um there's a lot of lack of new enemies new features new activities and the end game progression was just not fully built So anyway, the point the point is here is like from my, you know, my point of view, um, it was pretty clear that this this relationship was going to end. Right. There was a lot of quips from Bungie management. And then when the announcement that Netties was going to give them one hundred million dollars for the next project, I thought, you know, that was kind of the end that we probably would not see much from Activision and Bungie going forward because now they have another stakeholder that's going to be able to invest and build um, new experiences. And net net for uh, I'm a huge fan of Destiny. I've played hundreds of hours of both those games. Um, I think it's actually pretty good news for people like me. Uh, probably will give them some runway to build the product that they really want to build. And again, more flexibility on timing, um, and you know, kind of an escape from the overlord of uh, of Bobby and and Activision. So that's kind of my take.
1: Got it. And, and sort of, you know, the, the thing that was interesting, at least for me, was in, in terms of the. Um, the publishing rights are, are going back to Bungie. So I, I wonder how that deal was structured and, and whether that that $100 million is is all for the next project or, or was part of it to, to try and, and buy out um, Activision in terms of the publishing rights. Um, I don't know if you have any perspective on that, Eric. You right know, I,
2: I really don't know any of the details on this one. Uh, it, it felt like far cleaner of a break than you might think. Um, okay. So, but I don't really know.
1: Yeah. And the other interesting part to me was just how active NetEase has been in in investing in sort of Western studios and and technologies. And and for those in the audience who don't know about NetEase, they're basically a Beijing-based gaming company, um, amongst other products, but virtually all of their business in China. Um, And they are probably best known by Westerners as, as a company that operates local versions of Blizzard games in China, and that developed the the popular battle royale mobile games, Knives Out and Rules of Survival, and so you know they develop and operate a number of PC mo- mobile games and are you know in China they're they're considered one of the top contenders to Tencent for that market. You know Tencent obviously being the the the, the biggest leader, and the big title for them in China is, is called uh, Fantasy Westward Journey. And um, at least when I was living in China a few years back. Um, Working for for a mobile game company called FunPlus, you know, everywhere I went, like people were, were playing Fantasy Westward Journey, so it was a super popular uh, game there in there in China. And you know, in in terms of the investments, it's it's pretty interesting to see that that NetEase is making pretty big bets. So, you know, hundred million in Bungie last June, uh, fifty million in Improbable, which is the simulated virtual world technology company, um, and they were pretty recently in the news for kind of teaming up with Epic and getting into fight with unity. And it was literally just announced, um, on Tuesday that NetEase is also investing in Paris based studio, Quantic dreams, uh, which is the company that's best known for Detroit become human and heavy rain. So, um, you know, and and for, for Quantic dream, it sounds like they're going to make a big push to into mobile, but, um, certainly interesting. uh, not, not only the, um, the, uh, at least in, in terms of the article, the relationship between Activision and Bungie, but but you know, kind of the 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 other um, party in this, NetEase, and just how active they've been. Um, and with that, I think we can move on to the next article, which is um, about Metro Exodus, which is um, which which is a game that we'll be releasing on the Epic Store. Um, And um, basically what what this news is about is it's it's actually very exciting news for Epic, but on on the heels of their multi-game exclusive game agreement with Ubisoft, starting with Division 2, it's now been announced that Metro Exodus from the developer Deep uh, Silver will be shifting from Steam to be a timed exclusive on the Epic store. Um, And so uh, physical pre-orders will now ship with an Epic key and not a Steam key. And uh, it sounds like Steam pre-orders will still be honored via Steam, but the pre-order page for Steam was taken down. And so you know for, so Steam will be honored on, on on Steam for anyone who already pre-ordered and, but, but um, you know currently the, the focus is on the epic game store and uh, I believe that steam that the game will be available for Steam but later on in, in, in February of 2020. I think the other interesting part of this news is that um, based on the, the rev share split, because Epic is taking a significantly less than Steam, that the retail price for the game dropped from $59.99 on Steam to $50 uh, on Epic Store. And a pretty interesting quote from um, Deep Silver's uh, CEO, Clemens Kundratitz, was, um, was as follows. So he says, Epic's generous revenue terms are a game changer that will allow publishers to invest more into content creation or pass on savings to the players. So certainly I, I think that um, you know, the, this movement by Epic Games is, is definitely a, a, is, is a, is a great win, not only for developers, but also for, for players. And you know, I, th- I think the other interesting part about this news is just how serious Epic seems to be about going after content exclusives. And uh, my overall take is we've talked about in pot, in previous podcasts is that, you know, Steam is in, in very big trouble. I think that this is just the beginning for Epic. Um, they seem to, you know, understand the value of, of content exclusivity. And from my perspective, you know, Val's been asleep at the wheel for a very long time with respect to Steam. And I, I think Epic is going to eat their lunch. What, what's your take, Eric?
2: Well, I mean, clearly epic is just knocking them down. Um, you know, first division, now Metro, um, feels like, you know, the AAA is maybe just done with steam, but, uh, you know, Bethesda and CD project are probably the next, um, next two to, to go. Um, and you know, I think it's a great move also to pass along the savings to customers. I'm I'm a little bit surprised by that move, but that kind of helps sell the, sell the dream, I suppose. Um, You know, fundamentally, the question really remains to me is this, uh, is Epic really increasing the pie or is it just a share shift away from Steam? I I mean, I don't really know if we'll know that. Um, One of the data points mentioned in the article or some other article, and I'm sorry, I didn't do a lot of research on this one, is that, you know, most people that own an Epic launcher don't even have a Steam account or don't use Steam. And that leads me to an actual concern. You know, is this audience primarily a younger demo that are playing uh, Fortnite? You know, is it, are they going to be any less interested or even restricted from playing mature contract content like Metro Exodus and uh, Division two, Um, you know, is, yeah, is, is, is Metro going to be compatible with this audience? You know, I, I know I'd be pretty angry if uh, they start marketing Metro to my nine-year-old, but um, you know, will they have the right age gates in place? Will they have the right operating uh, things in place in order to make sure that that doesn't happen? You know, the bull case here is that you expand the audience for PC games by reaching a much broader audience, you know, with the Epic launcher, you know, the amount of people that have played, um, uh, Fortnite is, is just massive. Uh, but the, again, the more, majority of this audience may not be interested in something like division or Metro. You may be, they may be limiting their access to the right audience. You know, steam has been cultivating this, this core audience for years, uh, you know, building the service and the content for this core audience, um, you know, and again, Epic may have a lot of speed bumps along the way, you know, uh, in dealing with um, it, such a, a mass audience. Um, and I, again, I'm concerned about how they market to, uh, you know, a big portion of their audience, which are children. So, anyway, that's kind of my quick take on it. All, it's all positive, I think. I just <laughs> question about how it all nets out, you know, like there's just a lot more complexity around these sorts of things than just throwing out a launcher and and selling product, right?
1: Yeah, and it's actually a good segue into our um, next article, but I, I think you're actually right on both sides, which is that they're both expanding the audience, which certainly what we've seen with Fortnite, that they've definitely attracted a much younger audience, but I, I also think that they're going to steal a, a, a lot of share from Steam as well. Um, but, but yeah, moving on to our next article, which is um, an article by Polygon uh, titled, Influencers' Plans Say a Lot About Epic Games Store's Vision of Itself. So um, basically what this article is about, and and for me, this was a super cool news item, Um, but for those that don't know, Epic actually had a very cool, very innovative influencer-driven marketing campaign for Fortnite. And now what they're trying to do is to actually generalize this influencer marketing uh, program to the game store via um, what they call a support a creator campaign. And so... What this program allows is for influencers to share referral links or to promote their creator tag to get credit for sales of games on the Epic Game Store. Um, and it also allows, uh, the program also allows players to donate support to influencers as well. And so the article mentions that um, Sergey Galyankin, hopefully I'm pronouncing his name right, who is Epic's director of publish, publishing, strategy talked about, you know, this support a creator program in a Russian language p- podcast, but he mentioned um, a couple of things about the program. Uh, number one, that it drives players to game sales more than any landing page or user reviews. And two, a supporter creator can be more effective because a lot of Epic's customers are much younger than, than you know, a typical steam customer, not even using steam to, to, to your point, uh, uh, Eric, on, on the previous Article and so, and then he noted that actually 50% of Fortnite players, um, only 50% of Fortnite players have Steam installed, and of those, 60% don't even use it actively. So, creating a platform to help manage influencers to drive game discovery outside of the storefront to influencers is, is, in my opinion, I mean, that's that's like genius, and so I applaud Epic. Again for writing their own rules on just about everything but um, you know certainly when we when we think about you know the, the one of the main functions of the store is, is discovery and by kind of extending that outside and extending it to you know this this big movement around influencers I think is is absolutely um, genius. so um, the one thing I will say is that it seems like uh, at least currently epic is not enabling user reviews until they figure out how to deal with, review bombing which is um, you know fairly prevalent on on steam which you know I personally think is a mistake I, I certainly review bombing is a problem but I, I do think that it's better for customers still to have you know something to base their evaluations of, of new games on uh, Eric what do you think
2: um, I mean I I think this is all kind of interesting I thought the article was a little bit confusing frankly but um you know I I just I, I, you know, I hate to be a broken record here but like it seems like they kind of want to manage a social network between games for discovery, you know, between influencers and and customers and et cetera. And, you know, this takes quite a bit of resource in terms of, you know, computing, community management, customer support, you know, backend stuff. Um, And again, you know, they were a struggling 200 person studio before uh, Fortnite came along. So do they really have the resources to do this and manage all this stuff? Um, But, at the end of the day, it's clear that, you know, discovery of these news experiences is evolving and streamers and YouTube personalities have become more and more influence on what people are playing. And this could create a potential opportunity for smaller companies and smaller games to get more exposure in the marketplace. So it's all great news for them.
1: Right. Um, Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting in this new world, you know um, what, I think I think Epic's fundamental question here, or, or the is- issue they're trying to address, is what causes, or you know, what, what is causing a customer to purchase a product. You know, is it is it a review? Um, you know, is is it, or, or is it now increasingly for for younger players, is, is it influencers? So yeah, um, you know, it'll definitely be interesting to at least see see what happens here, and hopefully, um, you know, they've got a ton of money, so can can resource these these activities uh, sufficiently. And
2: with that, let's, let's move to the final article, Eric. Sure. Yeah. I mean, this one is basically Apple. Um, there's a lot of articles about this. It's kind of a big news story. Was that Apple could be working on a gaming subscription service? So, you know, <laughs> the enthusiast press just went wild with this stuff, speculating they're going to compete with Steam. Or, sorry, sorry. compete compete with Google, compete with Microsoft. You know, for more of a console-style streaming service. And this is based on a report from Cheddar, which I am not familiar with. Um, I don't know how reliable their scoops are, but, um, fundamentally, I'm not really sure if this is all that interesting because I I actually don't think this has anything to do with Google stream or Xbox, Microsoft X cloud. You know, that just really doesn't fit with Apple's priorities. You know, I think this is far more likely to be a subscription, uh, for mobile games. Um, and, and it seems to me, and I, maybe I'm crazy. This would be limited to premium games, you know? Premium games represent less than like, you know, two or three percent of the overall market and 25 percent of that is Minecraft. Right. So that's the last time I checked anyway. So very, very small market. And, um, you know. So I if they're looking at this small part of the market and they're putting out a discounted discounted subscription, I'm not really see how incrementally valuable this would be for the market as a whole. Um, And then on top of that, like paid conversions for these sorts of things, like if you look at something like. um, Mario game, you know, is like is like less than two percent, right? So I, don't, you know, this doesn't feel like a very big, big thing, right? right? Um, historically, you know, Apple spent a lot of time promoting premium games versus free to play games. You know, generally, the premium games push the hardware and ultimately support their goal of selling more phones. Um, and their focus really has not been on uh high monetization games necessarily. I and mean, there have been exceptions, things like. Marvel concepts of champions because it kind of does both, right? Um, high fidelity as well as good monetization. So, in a sense, that would fit their goal of supporting you know premium games that push the hardware, but not really the strategy of improving their app store revenue. And obviously, everyone's been hearing about how they're having struggles selling more phones as the feature feature list doesn't get as interesting for the consumer from an upgrade perspective. Um, but I think the right strategy, or the uh, you know, it would be to optimize against. Store revenue and and support the bigger um, high LTV games as opposed to subscriptions for games that represent less than four percent of the market. You know, so am I crazy here? I mean, I this is kind of my way of looking at things, and and I'm you know yeah no
1: no I I think you're exactly right, and I, I think the 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 point you made about Apple you know having this goal of supporting premium games in, in the past. It feels like that's always been the case. So Apple, unlike Google, seemed to always be partial to premium games. And um, there, there always seemed to be a, a bit of a tension against free-to-play monetization, at least from my experience and, and understanding. And it, it seems like, you know, if, if we think about the people and the philosophy behind Apple versus Google, that that kind of highlights the the difference there, which is, you know, app. it seems like Apple is you know, views themselves more as like artists or, or, or being protective of art, whereas Google is more data-driven KPIs, you know, what can we do to maximize revenue, for example? And, you know, we can see how Apple just in, in the App Store has removed the top grossing chart and, and has tried to make the App Store more of like a like a magazine, right, um, and, and with a lot more editorial content. So um, I, I think that kind of speaks, again, to the difference between Apple and Google and why they would try to sort of protect the premium games model with the subscription based model because, because clearly, you know, just the premium games model as is, 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 struggling. And so I, I, you know, I, I think that, you know, that, um, you know, the, the, the sort of the, the objective is good for Apple. I just think it'll be super, like, as, as you were stating, it's going to be very difficult to pull off. The article also mentions how Apple got, you know, 56 million people to subscribe to Apple Music. But I think the key difference here is that, you know, there is no good alternative to, to paid music in the sense that, you know, you're kind of making a choice when, when you want to have a, a, you know, sort of a paid music service. Are you going to go with Apple Music or say Spotify but in gaming, when the alternative to paying is free, I think the gap, this friction to any paid model, becomes significantly higher. So, ultimately, you know, I don't think you're crazy. I do think this model will be extremely difficult to pull off. But you know, I, I, again, I think the intent is good. So, I actually hope that um, Apple is able to um, have some success here.
2: Yeah, and you know, one note on this Apple Store thing. I mean, this Apple Store change has been. Kind of disastrous for people. Like the featuring <laughs> has been so bad, you know, across the board. And I don't know, Apple keeps talking about how, oh well, you know, customers can see things better, their discovery is easier. But everyone I talk to is like, it's been a freaking train wreck, you know. And then Google is still kind of doing a featuring, like I think it's a five to ten up top, but the rest is algorithmic, right? And so yep. that's making discovery there a little bit more challenging. Um so You know, as we move forward, perhaps, and I know Google in in general has been more focused on making money from the store, like more profitability as the new CFO is kind of taking over. So maybe they will continue to optimize. Maybe they'll optimize more for free to play content, which I think they've done a lot more, basically focusing on the games that make money ultimately, right? Right. Um, Apple, on the other hand, just seems to be (laughs) content with doing, you know, these crazy editorial nonsense that no one really cares about and you're yeah. just reading this stuff and you're like what is this you know i want to find out what good games are out there right and it's like I, you know i it, it blows my mind right that, that this is this is where we're at right it's like you know you don't go to safeway and and, and look for an editorial about how good the <laughs> peanut butter is right you just want to freaking get the right stuff you know the right content anyway i don't
0: know listen here
2: i go but uh anyway we'll, we'll we'll see how this evolves i mean i I think it could be an opportunity for some of these premium guys to get more exposure. Um, Maybe if, you know, if Apple pushes it really heavy, then they maybe they could drive, you know, some adoption. But again, it's such a small segment of the market. And I don't know many people that are actually actively going after a premium market with the exception of people like Minecraft, et cetera. So we'll see how it works. Yeah.
1: Cool, and with that, uh, we are at the end of Twig Twenty One. Thanks, everyone, and we will catch you next time.
0: Bye now. Thank you, folks, for listening to this episode. As always, please do leave a comment. Please do send a note. Uh, we, I mean, I personally really enjoy getting getting all the uh, all the messages from you. Um, truly powerful stuff. And please do rate this podcast and subscribe to it whatever platform you're using. And most importantly, please do keep in mind that all the opinions, literally all the opinions expressed in this podcast are our own and do not reflect those of our employers. So, Joseph Kim works at NBC Universal and I work at the Powerful Rovio Entertainment and whatever we say is definitely our own opinion. So that's it. Tune in next week. Hope you enjoyed the uh, this episode and and the next next one will be always better. Thanks guys.